0: Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. You may be seated. If you know today that Jesus is king, say amen. amen. If you know today that one day he is coming back to this place to vanquish the enemy and for him to reign supreme, say amen. amen. And if you're ready for it, say Amen. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right, y'all. Hey, before we get started, I got a couple of things I want to share with you. Let me read out here. Number one, Uh, you guys know back during the summertime, we did a a thing where we gave out food all summer long. Every Wednesday, we gave out food. um, And it was really cool. We met some really good people uh, and we had a good time. Well, as a continuation of that, as a continuation of uh, us being a neighborhood church and wanting to reach out and to love the neighborhood and to serve the neighborhood, this Christmas, can y'all believe we're talking about Christmas? Whoo, Y'all, it seems like it was 80 degrees two weeks ago. Because it was 80 degrees two weeks ago. 65? That's good. We got about two weeks to my birthday, just saying. Just putting it, just putting it out there. Uh, I'm turning 40 this year, which I'm looking forward to, because I don't mind 40. Because 30, not like 30 was great or anything, so 40 can't be no worse than 30. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time. However, somebody told me years ago, y'all tell me if this is true or not, those of you that are over 40, um, they told me physically, like physical shape, physical condition, you whatever you want to be after forty, you need to be there before forty. You agree? Ken says no. That's because you're a machine, Ken. Ken will ride his bicycle 100 miles every day and won't blink while he's doing it. Right? That joker's a machine, right there. Um, so anyway, Christmas. Christmas is coming up. What we want to do is we want to be a blessing to our neighborhood, to families that are in need, and we're, here's how we want to do it. Um, all through November... Uh, and all through December leading up to Christmas, uh, we want to collect We want uh, to collect Christmas gifts for kids. Small gifts, big gifts, anything for babies up to um, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old. Um, we want to collect gifts. Then every Saturday in December, there are three Saturdays before Christmas, every Saturday in December, we're going to turn our fellowship hall basically into a free store. So, what we will do is, we will advertise. Um, if anyone needs help during this Christmas um, with gifts for your kids, come see us. Saturdays, um, we have gifts for you. We want to, uh, we'll need people there to help wrap the gifts. Anybody good rappers? Oh, Jane! Jane's people volunteering. Jane, okay. I see those hands. I'm taking mental notes in my head. Um, So, what we will do is say the first Saturday we will have our fellowship hall set up, organized with the gifts that we have brought in. People will come in. They will get the gift. We will uh, we will have some type of organization worked out where they get you know, this gift for this age, whatever. We'll work on that later. Then they will take the gift to Jane and because Jane's the best rapper in Ashboro, And she will wrap the gift. Susie, She sold you out, Susie. No. She <laughs> sold you out. Uh, and then we will wrap the gift for them so they can take the gift home and give to their family. And we will do that every Saturday in, um, in December. There's three Saturdays. I think it's the 5th, 12th, and 19th. But don't quote me on that, but I think that's correct. Um, so we will be collecting gifts between now and uh, basically before Christmas. So if you can help us out while you're out and about over the next couple of months, if you see a gift or two that you could uh, you help us out with, please do. We would appreciate it. So we could take what God has done for you and for us and share that and be a good stor- steward of the Lord's blessings to us for other people. Amen? Amen. All right. Number two, you guys know our dear friends Daniel and Allison Craven. They usually sit right over there in front of where Barrett's at. Uh, Allison's got red hair. Daniel's a fireman. Um, Allison was pregnant. They are right now at the hospital waiting on their baby. Um, I told them to let me know uh, when the baby comes because we want to have a party. Um, Allison wants to sleep. I want to have a party. Okay, so um, they are at the hospital. They called me yesterday wanting us to pray for them. Um, she's a couple of weeks early, she's at week 35 right now, so she's just a touch early, so she wanted us to pray for them, so we want to do that right now um, to pray for Allison and Daniel. And if you will please, their baby name is Nathaniel, so pray pray for Nathaniel as well. And uh, over this week, continue to pray for them. Um, That is a big deal, and what we do here is praying for our brothers and our sisters, um, because let's be honest, um, if it's up to us we're in bad shape, but if the Lord can intervene, that's all the better. Amen? All right, let's pray for Daniel and Allison and, um, and Nathaniel, and then we will, we'll get started. God, we thank you for today. God, thank you for, uh, for the Craven family, for Daniel, Allison, and baby Nathaniel. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for life. Your word says that you are the author of life, so we know that life comes from you. Your word says in Psalm 27 that kids are a gift They're a blessing. Offspring is a blessing from the Lord. So God, we thank you for baby Nathaniel. Whenever Nathaniel makes his arrival, God, we thank you so much um, for life and the life that you have given Nathaniel, uh, Daniel, and Allison. God, we pray for Allison. We pray for mom and dad that you would be with them. We pray that you you would be with the doctors. God, we pray that your will be done in their life. God, we pray for a healthy baby. We pray for a healthy heart. We pray for a healthy brain, healthy kidneys, a healthy liver, lungs. We pray for 10 perfect little fingers and 10 perfect little toes. And God, we pray that your will will be done in that family's life. God, we look forward to the day when Nathaniel is running up and down these these aisles here in this church. We look forward to the day when he is spilling drinks in our sanctuary. We look forward to the day to hearing him cry in our sanctuary because we will give you all the praise and all the glory for your blessings on that family. Lord, we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right, all right, here we go. I saw a, um, I saw a, a story this week. The story goes like this. Um, uh, this guy walked into a, um, an art gallery. Is anybody here into art stuff? Oh, yes, Judy Paints. Judy Paints, wonderful. Not me. I know nothing about art. Don't care nothing about it. I know if I look at something and it looks good or not, I know it looks good. And if I don't think it looks good, I'm like, okay. I don't care like what time frame stuff was painted in. I don't care what type of brush stroke they used. It means nothing to me. Um, this guy walked into an art gallery and he saw was looking at all the all the paintings and all the drawings and stuff. He come to this one painting. This one painting uh, was a, a painting of a boy and a chess board. He was playing chess with the devil. So you got the devil on one side, chessboard in the middle, the boy on the other side. This guy was looking at the painting, and in the painting, the boy was sweating. The boy's face was real red. The boy was starting to cry tears out of his eyes. As the guy was looking at the painting, he was looking at the chessboard. He realized because this joker knew how to play chess, he realized that the way the chess board was painted on the painting, that the devil had won. He had the boy trapped. He had him right where he wanted him, the chess pieces, and there was nothing he could do. What happened was this guy that was looking at this painting was not just any old chess player. He was a master, like a master grand champion chess player from Belgium or something. And as he was standing there, he stood there in front of that painting for over an hour, and he was just standing there looking at that chessboard, just studying the chessboard. After an hour, he called the manager of the, of the art gallery, and he said, Listen, do you have a chessboard anywhere around? Just so happened the guy had one. He brought it out, put the chess pieces on the board just as it was in the painting. And then he started playing chess. He started moving the boys' pieces. He started moving the devil's pieces. And just like he was trying to win both sides, he was trying to move and win on both places. After about 35, 45 minutes, he figured out that the boy, the side where he was playing on the boy's side, ended up winning the chess match. Remember, he had it set up just like he did in the picture, and the boy ended up winning the chess match. So this guy, this champion, this chess champion, walked up to the painting and whispered to that little boy. He said, Son, listen. You may think you're going to lose. It may look like right now on this chess board, you're going to lose you're not. The devil has miscalculated his plan. He miscalculated his moves. You may think you're going to lose right now, but there's a way for you to win. Oh, what a story, right? What a story. I believe there are times in our life, and maybe you're here today, or maybe you've been through it before, or you will go through it again, where you feel like that boy in that painting where it feels like the enemy has you trapped. It feels like the enemy has you cornered. It feels like every move that you try to make, the enemy counters that move, and he has you trapped. It feels like there's nothing you can do. Maybe the enemy is attacking your family. The enemy is attacking your health. The enemy is attacking your job, and it feels like there's nothing you can do. You start to sweat. You start to cry, thinking it's over. I'm done. I've got good news for you today. The enemy has miscalculated his move. What you may think is victory for him, what he may think is victory for him is just God setting up. It's just God getting ready to take over what Satan thinks he has won. I hope you know this morning, it should come as no surprise this morning, spiritual warfare is real. Amen? You may not know it today. I believe you do, because I know all you guys are good biblical scholars. Our dear friends over at Foster Street, they probably don't know any of this stuff, like, unlike you guys. You guys know all this. That right now, as we are speaking right now, there is spiritual warfare. There is a war going on, what the Bible calls, up in the heavenly realms. Up above us in the spiritual realm, there is a war going on. The war is between good and and evil. The war is between God the Father and the enemy. What is happening now is spiritual warfare happening around us. So while it's going on up here, we see the effects of spiritual warfare in our life today. While it's being battled above us, it affects us today. We see it all across our world. We see it through division. We see it through families falling apart. We see it through sickness and death. Those are the effects of spiritual warfare. Now, spiritual warfare is not a new thing. It has been battled from the beginning of time, even before the beginning of time. Here's, way, here's how it started. Here's kind of the history of the battle of spiritual warfare. Number one, God created the angels we read in Scripture. Out of those angels, there was an angel named Lucifer, and you guys know this story. Lucifer rebelled against God. He wanted to be God, so he rebelled. And when he rebelled, he took one-third of the angels with him, the Word tells us. After he rebelled, God did what? He created Adam and Eve in Genesis 1. He gave them life. He breathed life into them. And then the enemy comes along, Satan, the bad guy, the devil, comes along. And what does he do? He tempts Adam and Eve. He deceives Adam and Eve and calls them to sin. After that, God made another move, and he allowed Adam and Eve to continue living their earthly life and also allowed them to have kids and also allowed them to procreate and have have kids. And so they had Cain and Abel. So then Satan made a move, and Satan enticed Cain To kill Abel. You know that story, right? You guys follow? After that, all through the book of Genesis, you see God doing something, and you see the enemy attacking. You see God moving. You see the enemy attacking. You get to Abraham. God calls Abraham to be the father of a great nation, to be the father of the Jewish nation. So what does the enemy do? The enemy traps that Jewish nation in slavery in Egypt. Then you get to the book of Exodus. So what's God do? God makes a move. He calls Moses at the burning bush. He says, get my people out. You're going to lead my people out. Moses leads the people, leads millions and millions of people out of slavery in Egypt. Leads them into what he thought he was going to the promised land. But what happened? They got stuck in the wilderness. Satan made another move. God may have got the people out, but they're not going to worship him. They're going to worship a golden calf. So Satan created the golden calf. He spoke to the people's heart. He deceived their hearts thinking, God didn't get you out. This golden calf got you out. God makes a move, Satan makes a move. All through the Old Testament, you see God working, and you see the enemy working. Then you get to the New Testament, and you see God kind of bringing out a special piece in this spiritual warfare. He brings out his son, Jesus. He sends Jesus to this place for you and for me. However, Satan made a move too. remember what the move was? What'd he do to try to stop Jesus being born? Yes! Not Judas. No, no, not Judas. Stop being born. Herod, King Herod, killing all the babies, all the, the boys, all the baby boys. You're jumping ahead, Tim. You'll get there at the end of the scripture. Not now, not in the middle. Not in the middle. So we got, uh, we got Jesus being born. The enemy tries to, to counter that move, saying, I'm going to kill all the baby boys Of course, Jesus and David, his dad David, or Joseph and his mom Mary, they flee. Jesus is born. Jesus grows up. For 33 years, Jesus was doing God's work, doing his father's work, doing everything that God told him to do. The enemy was after him for for 33 years. Then Satan, the enemy thought, I got a plan. I got a plan. The plan is this. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. So Satan got all his people together. They arrested Jesus. They beat him. They whipped him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put nails in his hands. They put nails in his feet. He hung on the cross for six hours. He died. He was put in the grave. And Satan was celebrating. Because he thought he won the chess game. He thought, I got him. I got him. I did it. I did what nobody thought I could do. I did what people have been saying can't be done. I did it. I killed the Son of God. It's over. However, what Satan didn't calculate right was that not only did he think he killed the Son of God, but he, God is the author of life. He decides life, not the enemy. He miscalculated his attack. He miscalculated his power. He miscalculated who it was he's against. And so we know the story three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the grave, defeated death, hell, and the grave. Because he defeated death, hell, and the grave, today Satan has no power over you and I. Satan cannot do anything to you and I. Satan's power has been vanquished because of Jesus' resurrection. The only thing that Satan can do for us today is to deceive us and to lie to us and to get us to believe what he wants us to believe and not in the power of the resurrection, Jesus Christ, today. That, my friends, is spiritual warfare. It's the enemy working in your mind. It's the enemy working in your life to get you away from the Father, to get you away from his words, from his belief, and from his life. And so I want to take just a few minutes this morning to share with you what do we do when the enemy attacks? What do we do when spiritual warfare happens? We're going to look at this over the next couple of weeks Um, you'll see why here in a minute Um, before we get there let me say this Um, if you are um, if you have or if you are experiencing like attacks from the enemy and spiritual warfare in your life let me just say this real quick Um, that's a good thing it may not feel good it may not be a good experience but it's a good thing and here's why the enemy is not going to attack you if he's not worried about you does that make sense if the enemy's not going to come after you, come after your life, come after your family, come after your health, if he didn't think, God can use that person. God can use that person. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of, of old, he used to say this. He said, Satan's not going to kick a dead horse. that makes sense? Satan's not going to kick a dead horse. If you're not being attacked, maybe, maybe. Maybe we need to readjust our relationship with the Lord because if Satan's on us, If Satan's trying to get us, it's because he knows God's getting ready to use us. God's getting ready to provide something. We're getting ready to praise. We're getting ready to worship. We're getting ready to serve. We're getting ready to be blessed by God the Father. Satan's not going to kick a dead horse. Satan's going to come after somebody who God is going to use. Somebody who is going to let God use them. So if you are in a battle this morning, that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. Because you know that God is with you. God is going to use you. God is going to fight for you. And God is getting ready. Or maybe God has already done something for you um, in your life that the enemy is trying to attack. So, here we go. If you have a Bible, turn it to Philippians chapter 6. And we will check out, see what Paul says about spiritual warfare and what we could do. Uh, Philippians, not Philippians. Ephesians. Did I say Philippians? A while I go, yeah. okay. The reason why the Ephesians is at the very end, and then Philippians is on the very next page, and my mind's not working right because I have a six-month-old. That is great. Six. Ephesians, not Philippians. Ephesians chapter six, verse ten says this. Finally, <laughs> stop. Stop. Paul says, finally, when he says finally, you guys know I'm big on like words in scripture, like words. When you see the word therefore, what are you supposed to do? see why therefore is therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you know he's just talking about something beforehand, and he's connecting those two things together, what he's getting ready to write and what he just wrote, because he wouldn't have wrote therefore if he wasn't talking about what he just wrote. The same is true here in finally, and here's what finally means. Obviously this is at the end of the book, so for him to say finally, for Paul to say finally means that he's getting ready to connect everything he just wrote to what he's getting ready to write. It's almost like he was making a list. He'd said one, two, three, four, five, finally number six, right? Does that make sense? So here we are in Ephesians chapter six. Paul is connecting everything that he's getting ready to write in these last few verses of Ephesians six to everything that he wrote in the first five chapters of Ephesians six. Bible scholars translate the word finally there um, to in light of, in light of. So Paul is saying in light of everything I've said before, Let's do these things I'm getting ready to say. So what did he say before? Paul is basically saying here in Ephesians 6, in light of all the spiritual blessings that I've given you, in light of being made alive in Christ, in light of being reconciled through Jesus, in light of having unity with the body and unity with Christ, in light of all of that stuff, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why is Paul telling us to be strong in the Lord in light of all this stuff? Because of spiritual warfare. In light of you being made alive in Christ, the enemy's coming. In light of you being reconciled to Jesus, the enemy's coming. In light of there being unity in the body, and unity in your family, the enemy's coming. So Paul says, be strong in the Lord And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's spiritual warfare the battle going on in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Verse 15, And with your feet fitted with... Uh, where am I at here? And with your feet, fit with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which is uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, finally, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So Paul says, in light of you being in Christ, the enemy's coming. The enemy's coming to attack. And when he attacks, here's what you need to do. Number one, he says, you need to stand firm. Before he even gets to the armor of God's stuff, before he even gets to the belt of truth, he says, you need to stand firm. Why does he say you need to stand firm? Because standing firm is really important. Here's why. In biblical days, in biblical days, they had Roman soldiers, when they would go to battle, when they would go to fight, they would have their battle shoes on. They'd battle sandals, really, because they didn't have shoes back in those days, they were sandals. On the bottom of their sandals, they had spikes on the bottom of their sandals, much like we do with cleats, with baseball cleats, soccer cleats, football cleats, that kind of stuff, Right? Why do we do that? We do it the same reason they did, to help them get a better grip with their feet, to help them not to slide. So that way, if they're coming, somebody's coming at them and they're getting ready to fight, it gives them a better stance, it gives them a firm foundation, their feet are planted, so that when somebody rushes them, they can take on the battle and take on the fight. Paul calls us to stand firm today. What, uh, what does that have to do with spiritual warfare? Here's what that has to do with spiritual warfare. If your feet aren't firmly planted with the Lord, if you aren't standing firm with the Father, man, as soon as that enemy attacks, you're going to run. You're going to flee. As soon as the enemy attacks your family, as soon as the enemy attacks you, if you aren't firmly planted with the Lord, if your feet aren't strongly firmly planted, waiting for the enemy to attack, waiting with God's power for the enemy to attack. And the first thing you're going to do is say, I'm out of here. The enemy's going to knock you over. The enemy's going to run you over because you have no foundation, because you have no power in your feet. You have no foundation for the rest of your life to be built on unless your feet are planted firmly in the Lord. Paul calls us to stand firm. James talks about the opposite of this in James chapter 1. He talks about it through the vision of prayer when he says, um, if you pray in doubt, if you pray with doubts, you're like a, a, uh, a wave tossed in the sea by the wind. Going this way, going that way, going this way, going that way. He, James goes on to say in chapter 1, not only are you like a wave being tossed in the sea, but he calls us double-minded people. Double-minded people people. So how do you not be double-minded? You be strong in your faith. Things are good. My feet's planted. Things are bad. My feet's planted with the Lord. In sickness, planted. In health, I'm planted. I got a lot of money. I'm planted. I don't have a lot of money. I'm planted with the Lord. Good or bad, I'm with the Lord. It doesn't matter how bad the bad is. It doesn't matter how good the good is. My feet are planted solidly with the foundation of Jesus. So that no matter how bad the, the warfare comes, no matter how bad the attack comes, I'm not gonna run, I'm not gonna flee, I'm not gonna forget about Jesus, I'm not gonna run from Jesus, I'm not gonna think somebody else can help me out better, I'm not gonna trust the world when I should be trusting the creator of the world, I'm not gonna trust another person when I should be tra- uh, trusting the created or the creator of that person because my feet are firmly planted with the strength of the Lord. It doesn't matter what the enemy brings to you. I'm ready. Why am I ready? Because my feet's ready. My body's ready. My foundation's ready. I'm ready to go to town and lay a beating on that enemy because my feet are firmly planted. They're not just planted. You get the difference? They're firmly planted. I'm not a 50% believer. I'm 100%. I'm not a 75% believer. No, I'm in with the Lord. Why am I in with the Lord? Because nobody else can do me the way the Lord can. Because nobody else can love me the way the Lord can. Because nobody else can forgive me the way the Lord can. Because nobody else can fight for me the way the Lord can. Because nobody else can heal me the way the Lord can. I'm firmly planted with the Father. Paul says when the attack comes, in light of being made One with Christ. In light of being in Christ, the enemy's coming. And when the enemy comes, it's important that you stand firm and planted with the power of the Lord. Number two, Paul calls us to put on the belt of truth. Put on the belt uh, of truth. So today, we wear belts for different reasons. Most commonly, we wear belts for what? What? Hold our pants up. Belts are very important today. Amen. Ain't nobody want to see your pants falling down. Anybody here suspender people? Anybody like suspenders? William, you're a suspender man. TJ's got some on right now, or he had some on. (laughs) I am not. Neither am I a bow tie guy. I don't like a bow tie. I'm a necktie kind of man. I'm of these big, like, thick neckties, too. I don't want one of these little skinny, wimpy little neckties. I want a big, thick, manly necktie. You know what I'm saying? Um, Thanks, William. (laughs) Belts, right? Paul calls us here to put on uh, the belt of truth. Today, we wear belts uh, to hold our pants up. We wear belts um, to help our shirts stay tucked in. Right, fellas? Uh, We wear belts for fashion, for the way they look. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, somebody helped me out here, but your belt is supposed to match your shoes. Is that right? Talk to me, playa. <laughs> Talk to me, boy. Nothing I can't handle. I'm from Denton. Um, so we wear belts for different reasons. In scripture times, in biblical times, belts uh, for Roman soldiers were worn for completely different reasons. Fashion had nothing to do with it, (laughs) all right? They didn't care if it matched their sandals or not. They don't care. In biblical times, Roman soldiers wore belts for different reasons. Number one, they wore their belt so they could hook other equipment, other tools, other weapons onto their belt. Like they had their sword on their belt in their, is it called a sheath? Sheath? Sheath, right? They had it in there. Think of like, I like to think of it as Batman. You know why Batman's the best superhero? Because everything he needed is right there on his belt. He can beat other villains with superpowers. He can beat them with what he has on his belt. Everything's on Batman's belt. Batman needs a hook to throw up on top of a house to climb up the side of the, the building. Batman's got it on his belt. Batman needs something to make you go to sleep so you can't see where the Batcave is, so he can put you in the Batmobile and take you to the Batcave. Batman's got it on his belt. Batman needs something to to uh, to 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 make you forget your your memory, so you don't know. Batman's got it on his belt. Everything that Batman needs is on his belt. The Roman soldiers they wore belts in battle because they could hook other stuff to it. It had a purpose. It had a reason, so they could hook their weapons, and they had their weapons readily available to them during battle. Not only was did they wear belts for that reason, but also the belts connected their whole suit of armor together. So it was in three pieces basically. You had a leg piece, you had your belt, and you had your breast piece, and of course you had your helmet. So I guess four pieces. But the belt connected the leg piece to the breastplate. So the bottom or the top of the leg piece connected to the bottom of the belt. The bottom of the breastplate connected to the top of the belt. You guys feel me? I feel like I'm having a fashion class. And I know that shoes are supposed to match your belt, so I can do this, okay? I'm fully prepared to have a fashion class. So their their belt connected the top part of the armor to the bottom part of the armor. Not only did it connect them two together, but it also helped stabilize the whole armor. If you take the belt off, the bottom of the breastplate and the top of the leg piece are just going to kind of be waving around. And guess what? There's going to be an open spot right here that you can get stabbed and you could die. So the belt was very important because it holds their other weapons, it connects the two together, and it also stabilizes them and holds them there and it keeps them safe. Belts were very important in this time. Paul calls us here. To put on the belt of truth. There's a reason why this is the first piece of armor that Paul calls us to put on. It's because without this belt, the rest of it means nothing. Without this belt that Paul calls us to put on, the rest of it means nothing. What did I tell you guys earlier? What do you already know? What is the only way that the enemy can affect your life today? Somebody talk to me. What does he do? What? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. We've got a firm foundation. Satan's got no power over us because of Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. Amen? So how does Satan affect us? What does he do to us? Deception. Deception. He lies. How do you defy lies? With truth. So here Paul tells us the most important thing, the very first thing. The thing that holds it all together, the thing that stabilizes it, the thing that you have to have to be able to fight this battle is a belt of truth. If you know today that Satan is a liar, say amen. Amen. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, he's a liar. Everything that he says is a lie. He's the father of all lies. When he speaks, he's speaking his language, which is the language of lie. He's a liar. That's what he does. That's who he is. That's in his nature. He can't get away from it. He's a lie. He's going to deceive you. He's going to manipulate you. He's going to speak to your mind. He's going to try to get you to believe what he wants you to believe and not the truth of the word of God. He is a lie. And here Paul tells us, we got to beat that. He's coming after you. He's coming after you with a lie. He's coming after you with deception. He's coming after you with manipulation. You defeat that with your belt of truth. Jesus says the enemy is a liar. Jesus calls himself in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. My friends, today, if the enemy is attacking you, if the enemy is lying to you, if the enemy is after you, fight the fight with truth, with truth. Jesus says in John chapter 8, he says, if you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free. I told you guys we're good Bible scholars. I love it. I love it. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Let me just say this, and then we'll, we'll close up. The truth in and of itself is not where freedom is found. Does that make sense? The truth in and of itself is not where freedom is found. Jesus says what? When you know, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. I'm not talking about just knowing about the truth. I'm not talking about having a a shallow belief in the truth. No, Jesus says when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. When you know Jesus, when you know who he is, when you know what he has done for you, when you have a personal relationship, when you have a friendship, when you have a relationship with Jesus, the truth will set you free. There is a big difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. Amen? Amen. There is a huge difference between, I know about Michael Jordan. I can tell you a lot about Michael Jordan. I can tell you when his birthday is, February 17th. I can tell you a lot. I can tell you some statistics. I know a lot about Ric Flair. I love Ric Flair. Woo! I love it so much. 16-time world champion. I love him so much. But if I go up to Michael Jordan and say, hey, man, how you doing? He's going to look at me like, What? Who are you? But if I go up to Barrett and say, hey, Barrett, how you doing? Barrett knows me. I know Barrett. Kathy knows me. If I see Kathy at a restaurant, she's going to come over and speak. I'm going to go speak to her. If I see Michael Jordan at a restaurant, guess what? He don't even notice this joker sitting here. He ain't got no clue. There's a difference between knowing about and knowing that person. The Lord has called us not just to know about. Knowing about is important. But that's not the most important. The most important is actually knowing and having that relationship, having that friendship, having the relationship with Jesus that will set us free. My encouragement and my challenge for you today, when the enemy attacks, he will attack with a lie, and you fight it with the Lord's truth. You fight it with your belt of truth. That is found in a relationship with Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Come on up, band. We got, uh, we got six people. What's a six-person pe- band called? I ask this every week. I forget. What? Great? Yeah, it is. Better than a two-person band is what it's called. All right. One, two, three, four, five. All right, y'all, we got a five-person band? That's just me wanting to get in the band so bad and you not letting me. I was manifesting myself. I was believing it. I want to see it so bad. I'm going to be in there. I'm either going to play the drums or sing one day, y'all. I don't know which. I can't do either, but one day I'm going to do it. One day I'm going to do it. All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your word here in Ephesians 6. God, we come admitting that we need you. We come admitting that, man, the enemy's tough. The enemy lies, and his lies sound good. His manipulation gets to us. We believe what he's saying because it sounds like it's good for us. It sounds like it's going to help us. But God, help us to believe today. Help us to live today. Help us to know today that true freedom is found in your truth. Real freedom is found in you. It's found in your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters and I pray for myself today that are in a battle that are in a fight, that's in a struggle, that's in a valley. God, I pray that we will put on our belt of truth. God, not only will we put it on, but God, we'll wear it. We'll trust it. We'll believe in it. God, I pray today that you would meet us in our fight, you would meet us in our valleys, you would meet us in our struggles, and God, tell us what we need to do. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Let us know we're gonna be all right. Let us know if we need to change. Let us know if we need to start, or let us know if we need to stop. God, speak to us with your truth today. Lord, we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.